Welcome back to Simon and White and the podcast at the nexus of business, media, politics, and Christian White. And joined as always by Mark Simon. Mark, please say hello. Everybody, how are you? And welcome back from Taiwan, Mark. Um, A little jet lag, but doing okay. Oh, good, good. Well, (laughs) while you're gone, a lot happened. As it turns out, Elon Musk has put put together the financing package to buy Twitter. Uh, A lot has been said and written about this deal. Uh, but I think the business part is still unexplored and, and interesting. Um, first of all, what do you make just generally? What do you think motivated Musk to, to, to buy this? And was it a good decision on his part? I think the first thing you have to consider with Musk, because I've been thinking about this, is first of all, you're dealing with an incredibly deeply intellectual man. In other words, this is a guy who kind of operates on a plane way above all of us. You know, he was making comments the other week about how there's not enough people in the world. That's a guy who's thinking deep thoughts. And that's a guy who's going out there and thinking, hey, there's not enough guys to take care of my lawn. There's not enough guys to take care of this. But that's it. But my point being is, is like he's always thinking of big things, but not political things. I mean, he's a guy who really thinks of like, I would say, on a moral basis, in other words, and, and big scientific issues, putting people in space, not enough people, what's the ramifications for that for society? Twitter is just a natural for him, I think. I, I, I almost look at my old boss, Jimmy Lai, and him, the similarities, whereas Jimmy would made all his money in garments. He made everything in, uh, made everything in um, um, garment business, retail business, then he went into media. And why did he go into media? Because that was the next thing that interested him. Um, I'm not sure Musk is going to sell out of Tesla. I'm not, I don't think that's really part of his plan at this point in time. But here's a guy who basically, and talk about calling a market right. I mean, he sold off during a giant sell-off. Tesla would still be down no matter what. You know, the market's down, NASDAQ's down 19 or 14, whatever, 15% in April. Tesla's down like 19%. And, you know, that's with him taking $8.5 billion out of it. My belief is, is that essentially he's looking at this thing and he sees something that we don't. And we should be aware that this is a guy, I don't think he's doing this just so he can be king of Twitter. I think he sees a business opportunity here. It is minuscule, not minuscule, but it's quite much, quite small compared to Instagram, compared to all the other social media sites. So what is he going to do with it? I mean, I, I mean, does he, does he bring it in? There's all types of things he can do. He's talking about having communications like a signal on there. Maybe he can charge for that. People might pay for that. He's also talking about, I mean, I've seen some references to Dogecoin. We're paying for stuff. That tells me another thing that he's going to be, that he might be doing. Maybe he's got so much Dogecoin that he drives Dogecoin up and that makes up for all of his losses in Twitter. I mean, in, in Tesla. I think this guy is going someplace with this. And he's looking to innovate in social media in a way that we have not figured these things out yet. And he's just toying with us on the other things. In other words, now he's just having some fun. He's enjoying enjoying getting a rise out of the people that he doesn't like anymore. And, you know, I, I just think the fact of the matter is the final thing I'd make about him. Let's remember, he sold all his homes. You know, he, he's money doesn't motivate this guy. Like he owned the famous Gene Wilder, a uh, Willy Wonka house in LA, which is famous because basically Gene Wilder had carpenters in there for something like 20 years doing all kinds of neat things in the house, but it sits on a giant piece of land. It's not a particularly great house because of the, you know, what it is, but what did he do? Elon Musk rented it out to Willie, to Gene Wilder's nephew. 
you know, to, to live in it for as long as he can, because he can, he didn't want to be the guy that tears it down. My point being is I'm not sure when you're worth $240 billion, the morons on CNBC going, well, you know, now he's only worth $220 billion. I don't think that means anything to this guy. And so I think it's going to be fascinating. I think it's going to be really interesting what he does with Twitter. Right. And so he paid, um, 43, 44 billion for a company that has where well, it's like 5 billion in revenue. Yeah. Um, you know, eight you figure, right, right. So they, I mean, Twitter's done a horrible job of monetizing the network they have. It's an I mean, awful they, company. It's an awful yeah. company. I mean, it's, it's an awful company and they've got some incredibly high paid executives. And we found out the chief censor over there makes $17 million a year. And what's she complaining about? <laughs> oh, she's going to be fired from her job. She's probably got $40 million or $50 million in options at 20 bucks a share. And he, and he's going to make her, you know what I'm saying? He's going to make her $50, $60 million. So she can then go out, retire, go join some NGO and complain about how Elon Musk made her rich. So I, I, I don't get it. I don't, I don't see the complaints. Um, I do understand um, the the people talking about the, the their very real issue of him being in China. You know, the Chinese may try to pull some stuff. But here's my point. The Chinese pull stuff behind the scenes, like Disney, fix, Disney fixes movies, Warner Brothers, somebody fixes hot, Top Gun. You know what I'm saying? They do that on the side. Twitter is real time. What's he going to do that he's not going to get called out by the New York Times and all the left and everybody else? Even the right's going to call him out. If he if he gives it, it's kind of like when they were saying Trump was in the White House. One of the things about Trump in the White House, really nothing corrupt happened. You can't, can you think of anything corrupt happened in the Trump White House until the well, maybe the very end? You know what I'm saying? But the family was there's no investigations going on with them because of what happened at the White House, because literally the media had 100 reporters every time Trump did something. They looked at it. I still remember watching MSNBC. And they were trying to figure out where the water came from at one of his events because it was like Trump water or something like that. Remember they had and they were trying <laughs> to talk about who paid for the water and was Trump lining his own pockets with bottled water. I, I still was like, going, you're kidding me, right? This guy's worth three billion dollars. And it turned out, of course, Trump hosted an event and basically just donated, you know, gave gave the basically gave the. Uh, paid for everything. It's like when he hosted some of the foreign leaders at Mar-a-Lago, he just picked up the tab. And, you know, but the thing is, is like, so I think China could be an issue for him. We'll see. I also wonder if basically, like I said, I don't, not sure he's done with Tesla. I can't see that far. I don't have those visions, but I think of Jimmy, I think of my boss, Jimmy, when Jimmy got out of garments, he was done. We, we never looked back. We made a few investments from time to time on, on garment companies, but Jimmy never looked back. Was Jimmy pushed somewhat because he sided with well, the Jimmy had a gun to the head. He, right? he had a gun to the head. Yeah. Um, Tesla might have the gun to the head, too, but it's a little bit bigger company. Also, the other thing, too, is and the, the point I always make to people is, you know, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the New York Times are now back in China. You know, the reporters are back in. Are, are they telling us that they cut a deal to get back in? If they're telling us they cut a deal to get back in, well, you know, that's the pot calling the kettle black with 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 uh, Elon. I'm betting they did not cut a deal to get in. I'm betting that basically people, the foreign ministries tried to just work this thing out. Mm -hmm. And my belief is, is that basically not everybody has to cut a deal. Fred Smith from FedEx has never, never cut a deal. 
in fairness to the airlines, the airlines have a lot, a, a lot of things going on. Also, the things that people point to are sometimes ridiculous. Oh my God, Delta Airlines put Taiwan as the as China. Okay, I mean, let's face it. And then they changed it. I'm sorry that they did that. I think it's the wrong thing to do. But was it? Were you asking that much of, of Delta to basically change the uh, in-flight magazine? You're not asking that much. In other words, I've seen companies. I did business in China for years and years. And I, I, when American companies put their foot down and there's a profit motive there, they basically tend to hold their ground. Is mm-hmm. Boeing handing them satellite plans? Is Lockheed, you know, when they're selling them, when when Lockheed Martin is selling them marine radars for their ships, are we also giving them the stuff that we put on Aegis destroyers? I don't think so. It's just a, a lot of this. It's 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 the it's almost he's being strung up by the very beast that he's trying to buy. I mean, the amateurs who you see out there speculating on this, it's phenomenal. And also right. the left hates him. I mean, can I, I'll yeah. say one final thing, then we'll move on. The funniest thing I found about Twitter was the one thing that when Elon announced he was buying Twitter, it reminded me of when Trump won. And there was yes. like this scream. I thought the distinct similarities. All, the conservatives were all doing the money dance over in the corner like <laughs> they thought they had it back. But then you saw also like, the, ah, I can't believe he's doing this, you know, and, and that it kind of reminded me of that. It's like, oh, my God, he's on our sacred ground. And it's like, so, it's Twitter. Yeah, it's funny to freak out. Well, that's the thing about censorship. It really has to be absolute. One last question for you on Musk. Uh, you know, I <laughs> sort of detest and, and simultaneously admire uh, big time lefties like Soros or modest lefties like um, oh, uh, Warren Buffett. Uh, as people who can divorce their financial life and investment decisions from their politics, essentially they're, I don't know, call them amoral maybe. Um, And uh, I wonder, do you put Musk in that category? You know, this is someone who, um, you know, is sometimes cast as a libertarian, but took a lot of money in government handouts on electric cars. And as you point out, is doing lots of business in China. No, I I, I think, you know, maybe different sides of the brains. I think Soros um, certainly is a genius in a lot of things, but quite frankly, Soros's ideas all come from the Nation magazine. Uh, mm-hmm. Buff- Buffett's ideas all come from basically the HR department that won't get him in trouble. I've never believed, I've never believed Buffett was, the, Buffett's a, he, he's a corporate lefty because it basically it makes him popular with the media. Um, but when you listen to him talk, certainly Charlie Munger is not a lefty. You know what I'm saying? His his partner. Um, Buffett's an establishment guy. Musk is, uh, you know, I've, I've watched Musk get high on the Joe Rogan show. I've watched <laughs> Musk talk. I really think that you're dealing with an intellectual capital here that is unique. I mean, this is a guy, I mean, the funniest thing about it. People go, oh, can he handle Twitter? I go, I don't know. He built an all-electric car, the most successful one ever, and he's putting people into space. And now he's got some company that's drilling, you know, drilling holes in the earth for tunneling, a boring company, they call it. And then let's also remember, remember the Thai kids who were trapped in the, uh, the Thai kids who were trapped in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, in Thailand, the kids who were trapped up in the cave. Yeah, and they, they were swimming out. in a cave and the, the Thai well, came up and Musk, they were trapped. Musk spent like, 
20 million of his own, literally it cost him $20 million, took all his engineers, put everything together, really didn't help. But now they've said, well, you know, he's built something that maybe could be used in other rescues, you know, in, 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 in submersible rescues or something like that. My point is, is like he was working around the clock. He was so tired, you know, he couldn't do it. But he is, he's, and he's not exacting. I think he called one of the other guys a pedophile or something like that. One of, one yeah, of the, rest the, of the, the diver who got him. It was a tweet. Yeah. 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 He may and, have been and, high. And, and the thing is, is like, yeah, probably. And the thing is, but, but what, what kind of person actually says, oh, there's kids trapped in a cave. I'm going to spend, you know, I'm going to not sleep for five days and pull all my engineers off everything they're doing and, you know, build this tube that's going to go down in there. The the arrogance is incredible to do that. I mean, you have to think the arrogance is incredible. But by the same token, this is a guy who basically thinks that way. So I I, I think we're lucky to have him. I mean, I, I yes, he's 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 the model African immigrant. You know, I'm, I tell somebody well, yeah, who else could put together forty four billion dollars over the course of a weekend and a deal. I mean, to be able to operate at that level is extremely impressive. And also, you know, this is shows that real engineering actually matters. It's not all software and marketing uh, in our over financialized and service oriented economy. He sold eight point five eight point five seven billion or something eight point six billion dollars in stock. I want to know who bought it because that's a lot of shock. That's a lot of stock trading, you know, at that point in time. I, my, I would I would bet money at the end of this. We're going to see like some Saudi prince or somebody in there hmm. who's who's picked that up, you know, because let's see it. Also, somebody told me that he made a comment recently that he thought Tesla was overvalued. You know, he, he kind of hinted to that or something to that. Like, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't matter. It's like magic money. In other words, he's looking at it going like, all right, you know, it's now not worth 900 bucks a share, 800 bucks. I don't give a shit. He didn't care. Right, right. You know, I still remember one time somebody asked him what his share price was and he didn't know. He had no idea. <laughs> it's also refreshing. Yeah. Um, moving on to another topic. So it was a uh, bad week for the markets, unless you're short. Um, in fact, the market has sold off. NASDAQ is off more uh, in April, with April now being concluded for trading 15%. purposes than any year since 2008. Um, one interesting little corner of this pertains to East Asia. It's the Japanese yen. And so the dollar is appreciated against the yen considerably. Last September, one buck got you 109 yen. That's fairly customary, traditional, if you go back a couple of years. Uh, the yen began really to collapse March 3rd um, when it was uh, trading at 115. And it closed today around 130. Obviously, since we're talking about a currency against the dollar, a higher number is bad uh, for that currency. So that, you know, a 13% drop over the course of two months for the yen accelerating recently. And that's a big move for any currency, especially one of the sort of two, three, four pillar currencies of the world. The dollar, the euro, the pound, the yen are often grouped together. Um, what do you think is going on here? Is this just weak uh, Japanese monetary policy and near zero or effectively below zero interest rates and people coming to the dollar as we finally start paying interest? Or is there something more fundamental taking place? Well, I, I tend to believe that everything's demographics with this stuff. You know what I'm saying? In other words, like people say, why is the ruble stronger? Well, it's because there's nobody trading rubles. So basically the economy is sucking that in. <laughs> The Japanese are not in that situation. I mean, I kind of look at the Japanese yen, you know, 110, 110, 110, 110, then up through the roof. 
Um, also, this doesn't really help the Japanese the way it would, you know, 20 years ago where it makes their exports cheaper because mm -hmm. the fact is they have a lot of imp components coming in. Um, fuel fuel and is, a, is a big issue for them and all their all their imports just becomes a big issue. And also during this COVID crisis, they don't really need a cheaper yen to sell anything. In other words, if you go to the Toyota dealership now and you say, I want a uh, Camry, you know, all right, here's the price, pay it. You know what I'm saying? In other words, there's a shortage of cars, there's a shortage of, of auto parts, there's a shortage of everything. So in other words, they don't need a weak yen to, to do these things. I myself think it really has to do with the fact of two things. I think, first of all, the Japanese are feeling somewhat insecure themselves, so they're trying to get out of yen into U.S. dollar. I, I just feel there's I, – I talked to a friend the other day, and he said the, the flows are pretty significant. In other words, they're, they're, they're moving to U.S. dollars. And I think the other thing, too, is, is that quite realistically, there is a question about the strength of the Japanese economy going, yeah. going down there. I always bring up demographics. I bore the hell out of everybody with it. I know I do. But like, you know, every year in China since 2016, we've seen the workforce drop by 4 million people. Well, in Japan, we're not seeing 4 million people, but we're seeing a million and a quarter. We're seeing a million people just drop out of the workforce there. And so the overall strength of the economy, the overall size of the economy, I'm not sure if we'd say shrinking, but I'm sure it's stagnant in, in a lot of ways. I, I don't see the value that Japan holds for a long-term investor mm. in, in anything, you know, in property. Okay. If you're in, if you're in, um, I, I know a teeny tiny bit about the Tokyo market, you know, enough to be dangerous. And I know in Tokyo that if you get in a car and you drive, if it's, if, if you drive, if a piece of property is a dollar when you start down right near the hotel, Imperial hotel, and if you drive for two hours out, you're going to be a piece of property is going to be 70 cents. You know, and and the point being is is that the demand is demand is demand is just not there because they don't have the people. So I I think I think long term, and I think also the BOJ has has been very very slack in mm -hmm. protecting the yen, and and maybe there's somebody there from the old days who's like, oh yeah, yen one thirty, we like that. You know, we're fine with that. They're not traveling either, so it doesn't bother them. In other words, the Japanese actually, people forget this. One of the biggest complaints the Japanese have when they have a weak yen is they like to travel a lot. And so when they travel abroad with the yen's weak, they don't get as much for their money. You know, they're, they're, they're basically from a year and a half ago, they're suffering 30%. You know, close to yeah, I was just in Hawaii, and usually you'll see um, a healthy number of Japanese. And actually, uh, you know, it's supposed to say this out loud, but um, usually the certainly local shopkeepers uh, would would prefer them to mainly sure, Chinese visitors, money. since they are <laughs> yes, they're richer yeah. uh, and a little quieter. Um, but yeah, not a one, just because that Japan, even though they say they've reopened to business travelers and have some exemptions to quarantine, it, you have to jump through a million hoops and file forms with different agencies. So in effect, Japan remains close to international travel on a reasonable basis, yeah. at least until after counselors' elections this summer, it seems. So yeah, it's, uh, it's having an effect. Look, but it's a problem. I mean, if that yin keeps going down, I mean, are they going to let it go beyond 135? I don't think so. Yeah. You know, and, and, well, and, and, and we'll have to see. And the Japanese, you know, I, I, their fiscal house is not in order. We all know that, yep. you know, and uh, good, the good news is they're going to be spending more on defense, but you know, they tend to well, buy I was going to ask you about that. So you're right. So the debt is out of control. We're concerned because we've exceeded French levels of debt. 
Uh, we now have a debt to GDP of about 130 percent in the United States. That's worse than France. It's worse than Britain, far worse than Germany. But there is one country that's still in worse condition than we are, which is Japan. And it's weird. There's a situation there. I never fully understood that Japanese invest so much of their money in retirement, I guess, with Japan Post, which is the post office, but also a government bank. And the government can sort of always rely on that as a low interest piggy bank. I, I may be paraphrasing or getting this completely wrong. Like I said, it's something I've never fully understand why they could go to that level. But if they have low growth, if they have a devaluing um, currency that's just flashing yellow, if you have uh, these demographics, which you described going down, are they going to follow through with these defense increases? Because they promised to spend more. They've said they're uh, going to buy some offensive defensive systems. So some conventional missiles that could actually strike China, that could hold yeah. China at risk so that they could retaliate uh, if they're attacked with conventional weapons. But do you think they follow through? I think they have to. I, yeah. I, I, I think they're in a situation now, you know, China is, their, their demographics are going down. But when you go down from 126 million, it's one thing. If you go down from 1.35 billion, it's another. So the Chinese have a lot more ways to go. And I think the Chinese are aggressive. And I also think the Japanese do not trust us the way they used to. This is not George H. Bush in there and Ronald Reagan in there from the old days. Um, so I really have some severe questions how they could not, not get away with it. I think the other thing too, is, as somebody told me a long time ago, one of the problems with the Japanese is they, they do tend to spend a lot of money on systems they don't need. Like they, their, their quote unquote Navy is a little bit too big. They're, you know, the Japanese defense force Navy. I, I know that sounds odd, but for the manpower they have, they'd be much better off with more airborne systems and, you know, and, you know, they're, they're smaller ships to go out and just, you know, they have to hold ground, they hold it. But the idea that they need um, some of these larger vessels is ridiculous. But I, mm -hmm. I do I do tend to believe they are doing it. Like, you know, we have to remember, they're actually moving a lot of equipment down to those small islands north of Taiwan that are 150 miles off Taiwan. And they're loading up equipment down there. I think they see China as a real threat. I mean, I, somebody showed me a poll. It was about a year ago. No, not even that. Maybe six months ago of the, the Japanese consider the number one threat. North Korea is not in it anymore. It's China. You yeah. know, and they I don't I don't think that really bothers them too much. Also, I have a real belief about the Japanese financial system. I, I think they're basically careless with it and they're careless with their future because essentially they think they're they, they're just content with it doesn't mean anything to them it's all paper money it's all you know fantasy money to them um that whether that means that or not we don't know but i mean all right the yen goes to 150 okay that's fine they'll just mm -hmm. you know pay people that but i i i really think I hope that they are serious. I think they're serious about it. I think they're very serious about their defense because of China. They, they know. I mean, the Chinese really are. I think people over here would be shocked at how aggressive they are up around those islands and things like that. You know, I mean, it's a daily, incur daily incursions into ja what is firmly Japanese territory. Daily incursions. Right. Well, and if you, as the Philippines have proven, even if you kip, kiss the Chinese ass, then you still have a problem. You have all these, you know, quote unquote, fishing boats that seem to be under yeah. the direction of the PLA Navy, um, you know, that show up in the hundreds and swarm what is your territory. So that's right. Um, I, I, and I think and I think the Japanese are going to be very conscious of 
of of having problems with of fighting that and, and and pushing pushing back against that. I'm just not so sure. I'm just not so sure on their financial house. I don't know how seriously they consider it. You know, I just don't read. I read a little bit about it, not enough, but I don't see somebody there. Nobody's making it a campaign issue in Japan. You know, there's there's nobody going. Our deficit is too big. You know, we're, we're <laughs> very few people make that because, you know, the conservatives run the show. So if they're not going to say it, certainly the socialists are not going to say it. Yeah, well, that's a good point. You have uh yeah, uniparty control for a long time there in the form of the LDP. You know, that's a good segue to our final topic, which is China um, and a lot going on there with uh, Xi Jinping essentially following a zero COVID strategy. This has worked its way into the U.S. financial system. Apple, in announcing results for Q1, said that Q2, they're going to be off $8 billion in sales because of these lockdowns in China, especially the area around Shanghai, affecting the supply chain for Apple. Now, who knows if Apple is just blaming this convenient excuse, but you know, probably not. This sounds somewhat plausible considering that Apple, unfortunately, has virtually its entire supply chain running through China. Um, is Xi Jinping out on a ledge within the CCP or is that impossible to know? You have this party Congress coming up this fall that happens once every five let years. Me ask, let me ask you a question. In all your years in D.C., working with state, working in foreign policy, has anybody really ever got China, this leadership right? I mean, in your in your life, is it, <laughs> I mean, in your career, has anybody really go, we know what they're doing right now? Definitely not. And the last time I was back in early Trump, um, it shocked me because, you know, previously I was in a functional bureau working largely on human rights, fighting against the regional bureau, the East Asia Bureau. Uh, this time I was in the East Asia Bureau and um, among other things and was surprised to see not the China desk is huge. What used to be, you know, a handful of people uh, in the late 80s was now just prolific. And then there's this whole mirror to the China desk in INR, the sort of wimpy intelligence bureau that is within the State Department. Um, and all the analysis seemed very similar. One person at DAS, a deputy assistant secretary within the East Asia Bureau, thought that this analyst from INR, the intelligence bureau, she was so smart because she read the Chinese paper, papers in Mandarin. Um, so I actually, you know, asked her a few questions. She made a few predictions about the last party Congress, which happened at that time, turned out to be totally false. Uh, and, and, you know, these are people who are paid to think about China all day, every day. So, uh, you know, there were well-publicized media reports that what human intelligence sources the U.S. had in China were completely rounded up through some compromise, people summarily executed. Uh, the idea that we or anyone has someone in Xi's inner circle that really understands his thinking or can make accurate predictions, I, I think is, is outlandish. It's one of the reasons I kind of like Jim Sasser, because uh, when Xi Jinping came in, Sasser was just blunt. He said, nobody knows anything up there. And then Gary Locke said pretty much the same thing. Xi Jinping is a hardline communist dictator, okay? In many ways, he shares with Putin this same belief that destiny is now theirs. In other words, they if, if you look at some of the advisors from Putin, I'm, got, I can't remember Wang's last name, but he's the one who basically wrote this famous book that everybody in the Politburo has read, very popular, and, and basically talked about that he came to America and he basically said, there's homeless on the streets everywhere. This place is falling apart. Um, if it wasn't for Asian immigrants in science, they'd fall apart. 
basically an incredibly derogatory view of the United States. And so therefore, I hate to say it, using that great Han superiority complex that does affect China. I hate to say it. It's, I've seen it many, many times. I'm sure over here in America, the politically correct people would say, oh, that's a racial observation. I think anybody who does deal with deal with them, you know, it's 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 called the you know, the it's called the inner inner kingdom because they look inside. You know, they they basically, you know, they don't look outside um, hermit kingdom or whatever you want to call it. I mean, they, they really do view themselves. And there is this this thing of Han superiority. And Perry Link said one time, the famous sinologist said, when Han superiority merges with this sense of Chinese nationalism combined with basically trying to fix, fix slights of past history, you get Xi Jinping. And, and that's what we've got here. I, I think that Xi has got a lot of problems on his hands. I'll get back to demographics to bore everybody again. He's got that problem. But his real issue is he is now stuck. He's going for a third term. He's broken the, he's broken the model. The model was you get two, two, two terms and another guy comes in, his group, you know, in other words, everybody's trading off. She is going for third term. That third term is really not welcomed by most people up there. People I know who follow it up there, they, I believe them when they say, yeah, it's not welcomed up there. But we don't know enough about the inner circles about what anybody's going to do about it. Here's what I have come to believe after talking to people who know a lot more about it than I do, which is a very low bar because I don't, I don't claim to be an expert. But here's what people have been saying with Xi Jinping and Putin. All right, you made friends with this guy Putin, you know, who we've never really been too close to with the Russians. You made friends with him. He's your buddy. You gave him the green light to invade Ukraine after the Olympics. He did it. So what do we got? We've got basically higher fuel prices, which are putting a strain on our economy. We've got one of the breadbaskets of the world that's causing for rising grain and grain mm -hmm. prices. We've now got most of Europe now firmly against Putin. So in turn, they're taking a more skeptical view of us because we're back in Putin. We had some foreign policy goals in Europe, such as Lithuania, and the Germans, who we were trying to push around, Germans are easier to push around than the Lithuanians, ironically. <laughs> but now that's gone. And our allies, who we had over there, are having a tough time getting our back because we're basically supplying weapons or whatever, you know, and support to a guy who's bombing what is now seen as an underdog popular country. So we're, you put us in a jam there. We're in a bit of a jam, but we could have made, you know, we, that's part of life. Then here comes COVID. And with COVID, you've initiated policies that basically have more to do with you being right than solving COVID. You know, Taiwan yesterday had 11,800 cases or something like that. I mean, it's, it's been like a rocket ship since I've left. I think the day I left, they had 4,000. And now, you know, uh, five days later, they've got 10,000. And but in Taiwan, they have two deaths, three deaths. I actually believe the Chinese when they have a very low death rate because I think they've got Omicron, so people are getting sick. But they are literally destroying their economy. And the question I have is, unlike America, unlike some other places, 
in the West where the free market can step in and, and save you. Like, I mean, look at Biden. All of a sudden, Biden's going, hey, you got to drill. You got to drill, drill, get more oil. You know what I'm saying? Xi Jinping, they don't work like that there. So he's basically got all these people locked down. He's got people fleeing cities. There's still an export-based economy. I don't care what anybody thinks. You've got all your expats leaving. That's going to slow you down. You've shut mm -hmm. most of your factories. Um, speaking of Elon Musk, his executives are sleeping on the floor at a Tesla plant trying to make sure that thing works. I was in Taiwan. Most of the guys I smoke cigars with in Taiwan basically are OEM manufacturers in China. And they said they just can't get components. So they're if their factories are running, they're running at a very low production rate. So she's put them in a real problem. Then does that mean that Xi Jinping gets kicked out? I, I think not. I'm going to steal from a friend of mine who, who who told me this. He probably wouldn't want his name mentioned, but you know, he's pretty good at this stuff. And And he said, imagine you're Xi Jinping, you're going for your third term and you've got like five pillars of control or seven pillars of control. Let's say you got seven pillars of control that you want to get for your third term. Well, maybe what happens now is he only gets four of them because everybody else is saying, you know, really, you're going to have to stay away from this. And we just saw that come, and that's why I give this guy credit. We just saw that come to a story today about how they're backing off the tech companies. Hmm. You know, they were pressing the tech companies. Now they're backing off. So that that's that's not Xi Jinping wanting to back off. That's not him. He's being forced to back off those companies, and he's being forced to back off some of the semiconductor companies, and he is being forced to open up some of the factories. And they just had a, a, a Politburo just sent out a thing talking about the economy, the economy, the economy. That's not his message. Don't let anybody fool you. His message as of a, two days ago was COVID, 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 zero COVID. Two days, 48 hours later, there's a message about how we have to work forward in the economy. Okay, so my point is, is that I think he is not in he is not going to emerge. He's going to get a third term. I think it'd be very unlikely unless something drastic happens. But he's not going to emerge as powerful as he as he was when he started the second term. And it's going to be very interesting to see. And I think a fourth term is out of out of the question now. In other words, the the you know he'll be. Is he put, picking people up and putting them in jail? I'm not so sure he can do that now. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, what's going to happen? And, if, and and we still, we still, one of the things, Kristen, we have to really, we don't know enough there. I was told the other day that they re, they're releasing pork from their strategic reserves. They have a strategic pork reserve? Sure, everybody does. Chicken, you name it, we got it. <laughs> Excellent. But they're, but they're, releasing, they're releasing pork from their pork reserves. In other words, they're releasing food, they're releasing rice, they're getting it out there. And I, I think that's a problem. The other thing, too, is I think when you go to a place like Shanghai and Beijing, these are sophisticated people by any means. You know, by, by every world measure, they're fairly sophisticated people. They're not happy right now. Their lives are being wrecked. You know, I, I, I think this the fact is the Chinese have very high savings rates. And that's one of the things that's saving them. In other words, these people aren't making money. They're not going to work. Maybe their companies are still paying them. Debt is rising exponentially. Companies are getting loans to make payroll, okay? Someone's going to have to pay those loans back or they're going to have to eat it. So I, 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 I think I, 
I'm not Gordon Chang. I'm not saying the world is going to end tomorrow. But I think a Xi Jinping leadership in November is going to emerge as a different leadership. And I think the problem he has is what all dictators have. People are starting to question the great leader. Yeah. You know, it brings to mind a uh, part of the book Inside the Third Reich, which was written by Albert Speer, who was um, Hitler's sort of uh, manufacturing guru as the war went on. Uh, and at one point, Speer wanted something that probably was the best choice for the German war machine, but the rest of the Nazi leadership didn't. And Hitler remarked to him that even I have to contend with politics uh, or that you, Speer, must have to at some point. So even in a what seems to be one man dictatorship, you have politics and you see this in one party state states. And that seems to be, you know, a factor that is in China. It's just unfortunate that our ability to understand this from the outside is, is virtually nil despite spending a, what, just, 80 I mean, billion I mean, a year on intelligence. Yeah. That's the arrogance that we have. I mean, I, and I, I think mm -hmm. it's one of the things that, but in fairness, I still remember when Trump was elected, I heard from two pro Beijing guys who wanted to have lunch with me in Hong Kong because they couldn't believe he got elected and they wanted to know what it meant. Okay. Because I was, I'm the, I was Mr. Republican in Hong Kong for a while, you know, and I'm like, hell, I don't know. I mean, I voted for the guy, but you know, <laughs> you know <it> surprised <laughs> me too. You know, I thought Hillary was a sure thing, but um, I, I do believe that we don't know what's going on up there. Um, the Taiwanese tend to have some pretty good information. And this one of the people I talked to when I was there, they're saying that he's having they, 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 the problem is, is that everybody now tries to make these, you know, bold statements about what's going on in China. China moves slowly. They move very slowly. And it's also a party leadership. In other words, like when you look at Putin, my favorite one of my favorite movies is The Death of Stalin. If anybody is oh, great. Yeah. Seen, it's a fantastic movie. But one of my one of my favorites is in Death of Stalin. You kind of see that basically the only way these guys in the Soviet Union used to exit was basically feet first. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you're going out. That's not the way it happens in China. These guys at the Politburo, the top couple of thousand people, they got a good thing going and they know it. Now, maybe it's not so great under Xi Jinping, but they're not going to wreck the system. You know, it's the, it's the great myth about Tiananmen, Tiananmen in 89 where all these people say, well, the students were going to overthrow the government. No, they weren't. It wasn't even close, you know, and that's, that's why that what, that's what makes the massacre so much more horrible is that mm -hmm. essentially they didn't need to do that. The students were leaving. Um, there was going to be some, a few things happen probably in the Politburo that would soften them up a little bit. Maybe they would have been on the road to democracy, but the communist party was going nowhere. It, it's, it's not like one of these Eastern European countries, you know, where Ceausescu is up against a wall. Uh, Xi Jinping will find his way uh, into a into a decent position um, at the end. And, you know, the other thing, too, is we don't know. The only other thing I'd say is Xi Jinping a lot depends on Putin now. I know that sounds really good because that's the horse that he's backed. And the Ukrainians are doing a pretty damn good job now. So I I I myself think the Europeans have to step up. I read your column the other day. I agree with you. The Europeans really need to step up more and more. All of Europe can come up with, I'm happy to sell them $33 billion in weapons. You know what I'm saying? But I yes. think the Europeans should be paying for it. And um, 
And so, and so, and so that's it. But there's a lot there. Um, there's a lot there that really Xi Jinping is riding on. Because if, if, if they keep going to a stalemate, it's like, hey, you backed the wrong guy. You know, right. you, you put us in this fight with the West. I have to tell you, it's one of these things, you know, you have these, remember the tennis player, Ping, whatever her name is, Ping Shaw, Ping Shu, mm-hmm. Ping, yeah. Ms. Ping. You know, she's still the an world. issue for them. You, nobody's seen her, but she's still an issue for them. Oh, she's that still- one, yes. The one who was, you know, plausibly <laughs> sexually assaulted by a Chinese bigwig in yeah. the government. And, yeah, yeah. And made a remark. It's, there's was, some interesting views on her among the dissident community, by the way. You know, but I mean, you, you see, you see, um, you see these people, as I would say, you see, um, basically, it's just the, every little thing can 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 cause a can cause a ruckus. You know, they've lost control of WeChat a few times and Weibo. They've lost control where videos are just going up and going up and going up and going up. And it looks like they're not going to. There's so many of them. Are they going to be able to crack down on that? You know, are they going to be as after all the COVID settles? Are they going to go start picking up people? We'll see. They probably right. will try, but I don't think they'll be able to. And also, the, what are you going to pick a guy up for? Oh, you passed a video. Don't ever do that again. You know, and hence their other problem, too, is, is that a lot of people are leaving China. I mean, Shanghai, the Shanghai airport, I, I flew from Tokyo over to the U.S., to, to Newark. And I met two people on the plane who had flown out of China to Japan you know, connected out of, out of China to Japan. And they said it was a pain in the ass. I met them in the lounge. They said it was a pain oh, in the ass. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, and they weren't, they weren't the same. They weren't a couple that was two separate guys. And they said, we just got, I got out. They said, I couldn't take it anymore. Um, you know, they were from Shanghai. They said, you locked in your room. If you get a travel pass, the embassy, you know, you can get a travel pass and leave because you're an American citizen. And they said, I just took it, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I got out, but, that was all. I, that was the only two I met, but I'm hearing it more and more. Yeah, not a great place to do business now. It seems like 2022 is going to be a turbulent year for a lot of political systems. Our own, the Chinese, it's, it's, the Europeans, the Russians. I'm, I'm telling you, stay, I, I think you're right. Your earlier prediction is correct. We have not seen the end of this market. Um, I know we don't like to talk about Joe Biden here, but, you know, I was watching Joe Biden on television the other day. And I'm not talking about the shaking hands with, you know, the ghost behind me, um, you know. <laughs> The ghost of Marilyn Monroe in the White House. Guy can't put together two sentences. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got Joe Rogan, who's like the most listened to guy in America, who's openly saying with no blowback whatsoever now, openly saying he's not all there. You know, the man, look, the man is not all there. And and I, 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 I think the market's don't know that there's strong American leadership. They don't, they're not sure about it. We don't know what's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I, as I said earlier, I think you got Susan Rice running domestic policy. I think you got Blinken and Sullivan and Austin. I think Austin's much more involved now than people thought he was um, running foreign policy. And, and I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, not super impressed with, uh, you know, um, you know, all three, Susan Rice, if I was if I was a big lefty, I'd be very confident of her because I think she's pretty ruthless. But, yeah. you know, but the thing is, is like, what's what's going to happen, you know, and um, it, are we going to get Kamala Harris, you know, and then Susan Rice will be our secretary of state. 
you know. <laughs> well, that'll be an interesting confirmation fight. Although, frankly, the Congress, whether it's run by Republicans or Democrats, seems to rubber stamp uh, lefties who've done, you know, pretty bad things <laughs> like, you know, pass up the chance to get bin Laden in the case of Susan Rice. The, 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 the real issue in the U.S. is, is that we also have I mean, I, I, I'm one of these ones that believes if, you know, Biden had a point, you know, we have to be strong at home. We have to have everything here. So we're going to focus and we're going to build back better and all those things. The problem was, as Joe Manchin pointed out, you know, basically, OK, you can build all the roads you want. I'll give you all the money for the infrastructure you want. But no, I'm not giving you seven billion dollars for CRT and, you know, crazy teachers union stuff and things like that. So the left's not serious either. In other words, we really we really don't have serious people talking about things that are going to move move the country forward. It's it's and I think the markets reflect that. And I also think the final thing, the final thought I'll leave you with is demographics. Sorry to make you sort of bore everybody. (laughs) I think people need to go out and look in their communities and see everywhere where we need people, you know. I told you that off-color story earlier about a guy who I can't, 20 years ago, this guy wouldn't have a job. You know what I'm saying? The guy was mentioning, he wouldn't have a job. But now he's in Portland, Maine, making 80 grand a year working at a freight forwarding station because you know what? There's nobody else to do it. And that's changing the way markets work. That's changing the way we work and things like that. You know, New York Times can't, had a really good piece the other day about how, you know, we're seeing unionization of Starbucks shops. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I think I'm going to become a union organizer. It's for the first time in my life. Maybe I'll go and, you know, actually start going to Starbucks and be like, oh, wouldn't you guys be happier? (laughs) You know, do the same for Amazon and Apple workers, too. My gift to the progressive corporates. Amazon, the the next story with Amazon, I believe it. I've been because I I I dumped Amazon at 3000 and I'm happy I did. Um, And. The next thing you're going to see with Amazon is they overinvested, they overexpanded, they overexpanded. And um, because of the supply chain shortage, they're not so great. I ordered dog food the other day. Usually it comes the very next day, four days. Yeah, all these I had, I had, giant. I had to run to the store. All these giant tech companies, it's, you know, they say they have tens of thousands of employees, even Twitter. Aside from the army of sensors they must have employed, I mean, Twitter's technology has only changed a minor amount in a decade. Um, I, and and I, their, their ad sales are automated. So what are these people doing? It's like I, Detroit I've in never, the 60s. I've, well, it's, it's like Netflix. Netflix at one point in time when they were growing, they bragged we have less than 1,000 employees and now they're up to like 6,000. You know, it's, 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 it's like universities. There's a great thing about universities. The other day, I'm starting to ramble off. Like universities in the last uh, seven years, eight years have added 200,000 administrative employees. <laughs> and it actually lowers the IQ on campus. Yeah, but considerably, considerably. But I mean, I just, I just, I just, uh, I, 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 just uh, I, I, I just think that, you know, like I say, I think the, if you're in the market today, I would not, it's, I would, I'm not investing a wooden nickel you know, for the next couple of weeks, because I want to see what's going to happen. I, yeah, I, still, no, I, I, still, right I still think we could see another 15, 17% down. I really do. I look mm-hmm. at some of these companies, you know, and I, I really, I really think it could happen. Even the oil companies like, you know, and also Rio Tinto, we did We're doing okay on Rio Tinto. Okay. Mm-hmm. But even there, once that demand starts dropping, you know what I'm saying? It's over. 
Yes, I was holding on to that for a while because I thought, well, inflation will still prop this up. If you look at commodities overall, they haven't fallen that much. Um, but I dumped it because I figure both yeah. with that and oil that the coming likely recession will lead to demand destruction, what? will cut the prices of these and then probably create another point to get in. We're nowhere near that now. So yeah. I think inflation and the commodities play will be back. Um, but you might want to wait out summer until fall. I'm, I'm still holding Chevron, but I bought Chevron two years ago on the misbegotten notion that it was all going to go through the roof. And it finally has, you know what I'm saying? So it's done. It's been a really nice thing. I should probably sell Chevron pretty soon, but I'm, I'm sitting mostly in cash. You know, I, uh, I sold all my SAAS shares, personal shares. And I, I just, I look around and I, I, I'm not, you really think you're going to be smarter than all the world turbulence going on right now? You know, and I'll, I'll bet we're, like I said, I want to see who bought the Tesla shares. 8.5 billion is not absorbed readily by the market. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's just not. Somebody somebody was somebody was out there meeting that meeting that buy, meeting that sell. Yep. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of Simon and Whiten. Uh, if you want us to discuss a topic in particular, throw it into the comments uh, on YouTube. We get all of those and we'd be happy to address a topic in which you have an interest. If you like us, please subscribe. Leave us a positive review on Apple and we'll be back again soon with another episode. Thanks.